Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of To The Point Podcast. We are here on the final day of August 2021. Can't believe it. Summer is winding down, but today we get a 27-degree Tuesday in late August. I uh, can't really complain about that. And um, Tuesday, we are going to be talking about the Season 3 finale of Breaking Bad today. But uh, like we mentioned last week, Seamus and I are going to be doing something a little different. We'll talk about the episode. Then we're going to jump into the Pacific Division offseason in the NHL. We'll talk about the, the Canadian teams in the division and we'll and Arizona. And then we'll pivot to Cali and Seattle next week while discussing uh, season four, episode one of Breaking Bad. So we're going to do a little, we're, we're jumping in two different pools here, so to speak, but it should be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll tackle both things today. But uh, Shay, you were talking last week about how uh, JoJo Mason was coming down from um, the ONT. How did that go uh, this weekend? Good. Sloppy Joe made her down. Uh, no, it was good to see him. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. And it was nice to uh, reminisce about the good old university days. But more, more importantly, just catching up. Um, you know, kind of like you, he's trying to get into sports. And, and you're in the media side. He's in the management side. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the, the, the venue he's going for. But uh, no, it was good. Good to see him and his girlfriend, Amanda. Nice to catch up. And overall, just kind of a quiet weekend, which I think was needed. My liver was uh, kind of hurting after a, a pretty rough August. So it was nice to take it easy for once. Yeah. Uh, ditto. It was good to you know, DD for some you people. You were off the booze too, eh? You were yeah, I've been off for like three weeks. And to be honest, I <laughs> feel fantastic. Um, I... I don't really want to go back on her. I don't think I'm going to this weekend, but I'm sure I'll see you this weekend, but maybe in a, in a sober, sober instance. Uh, but yeah, catch any sports this weekend, watch anything in particular on your quiet weekend. No, no, not anything. I try to catch a little baseball here and there. I wasn't, uh, you know, I saw a couple NFL preseason games and I thought of you, I was like, ah, geez, I I really should turn one of those on, but uh, you know, no Baker, you know, no Jarvis Landry, you know, no Miles Garrett. That's nah, nah, just not for me. I don't think I'm going to tune in. Yeah, you know, fair enough. Baker actually did play Sunday night. Oh, well. So nah. he did play. He did, he did, did, play. did he play well? Not bad, actually. Yeah, he actually had a pretty good start. It was against Atlanta. So, you know, grain of salt oh, there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I did pull off some more degenerate moves watching a lot of preseason NFL and then Nebraska, Illinois in college football, uh, that <laughs> watched almost all of that game, which I'm not entirely proud of, but I did watch. It starts Thursday, Ohio state, Minnesota. I'm excited for that to get college football officially starting. Uh, and then the NFL the following week. So it's really, it's going to be fun, uh, fun, fun couple weeks for yours truly. But, um, Breaking Bad, the season three finale, we've been talking about all the different interactions. We had the episode like Fly, where we see Jesse and Walter interacting. It's a great season. I think I think you could argue it's the best season of the entire series. But we finished last week talking about Walter killing the two uh, employees of Gustavo, running them over with his car and then shooting one, you know, execution style right in the head. and we kind of head into this finale, not knowing where, where we stand, just what Walter telling Jesse run. Yeah, exactly. If you can remember, they had that big sit down at the, the end of the, the last episode named half measure. And it, it was kind of a, you know, you're not, there's nothing going to come of this. 
this is it. This is the end of this, you know, this dispute between Jesse and these two drug dealers. And sure enough, what happens, they end up killing them. And you just think, oh God, like, you know, what's, what's going to blow over. He was mad enough at the fact that he was mm-hmm. going to try and kill them now that they are dead. You know, you're just thinking what, what, what kind of repercussions are going to come from Gustavo's fringe. Yeah, absolutely. And you think finale and this episode is so interesting and so much happens. It, it starts very, very weird. And I, I, I want to get your, your take on it, but it's a flashback to a young Walt and a, pregnant but younger Skyler buying their home. Uh, you know, the, clearly Walt is still working at Gray Matter. He thinks, you know, I'm going to be making lots of money. This is kind of a, this is a starter home. Like we're going to have three to four kids. And uh, why, why do you think they decided to go with this as the intro to this season three finale? I just, I just think because in, in, you know, kind of tying it together, but you're right. He's, he's just really ambitious. And I think, you know, you can see that that ambition is still in him. just mm. unfortunately kind of directed at a different kind of motive where he's now selling drugs instead of probably doing good for the world. Like he was doing at gray matter, but yeah, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure why that, why they threw this in here. It was, you know, it's interesting to see, obviously, you know, Walter still has hair, he's long hair, you know, like you said, he's kind of brash, you know, he's like, oh, we, we can get a much better house. Like, let's just expand the budget. So I'm, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure why they throw this in there, but w- what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. A couple of things. Number one, he's wearing a biker jacket, which really cracked mm-hmm. me up. I found that kind of uh, interesting. Um, yeah. He, he's got a, he's got the same demeanor. I agree. I would say that it, they, they did this because it's Walt kind of showing that he once had kind of, he once was a successful person and he, you know, was in a position of, you know, power, so to speak. And he clearly dominated the family um, when it came to decision-making, even though it's, you know, a partnership when you get married. Uh, but I, I just think it was to show Walt him being ambitious, him not being afraid to take risks, but also life has its turns, you know, as my grandfather once said um, a few times to me. And, you know, they talk about having three kids and this would be their home for a couple of years. You know, it's almost 20 years later, you know, junior's 16, I believe, and they're still there. So it just shows you how life can throw you some curveballs as well. Yeah, absolutely. From, you know, being kind of cut out from gray matter to becoming a school teacher to you know everything else and kind of having to downsize looking back at it you could say that that was the perfect house for them because you Mm -hmm. know it was probably affordable where if they would have bought this big old mansion that he envisioned then they would have just been doomed and you know would have had to sell that Mm -hmm. yeah it could have been you know a bankruptcy or possibly worse so who knows how that would have went so we go from this scene to we just see Walt parked out in kind of the middle of a field. Uh, you see some cactuses. It, it's not completely the desert, but it's very secluded. It's very barren. And he's sitting there waiting. And then we see the Yukon or Escalade, the black Escalade that, that Gus always rides around in. And we just see headlights. And uh, Walter gets a call from Mike. Yeah, so Mike calls him and says, you know, basically said, well, start walking towards the car. 
you know, this is definitely a safety measure for, mm. you know, Gus and them to make sure that Walter's not going to pull anything crazy, like run them over or, you know, maybe walk out with a gun of some sorts. And, you know, it's this funny scene where Walter goes, you know, uh, I need some kind of assurance, you know, that I'm going to be okay. And Mike goes, if I, Walter, I could kill you from over here. Don't worry about it. Just get your ass over here. So yeah. you know, he kind of, he kind of just strots along and Mike meets him halfway and kind of starts just nagging him. Like, and he goes, you know, I've been up for three days, basically cleaning up your mess that you've made, you and Pinkman have made. And, you know, I'm not happy about it. I like my sleep. And, you know, Walter's just like, ah, doesn't know what to say. I think he's more nervous of anything of the reaction that Gus is going to give him. Mm. Um, but it's just a funny little reaction that him and Mike have together because they don't get along. Obviously, we've seen that in the past. It got more because Mike's the, the right-hand man. And, you know, I guess Walter kind of thinks he overpowers him in a sense. What, yeah. are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely think, yeah, they clearly don't get along whatsoever. I think Mike is very careful he's very similar to gus in that he he does his business very efficiently he does it quietly and he likes to get the job done then he can take a break walter is very reckless walter will take risks he will you know just kill people out of the blue and then mike has to come cover it up and like he said and and he even said like walter you can get your car fixed like you idiot you're gonna want to get your car fixed like get your taillight fixed and Mike's just, he's fed up. Like he's like, okay, like I've already done all this work and then I still have to tell you to do this one simple task at the same time, knowing, you know, Gus is probably going to chew Walter out here in a matter of seconds. Yeah, exactly. So sure enough, he gets to the car, Gus gets out and he says, you know, how's, how's your health? Like, are, are you okay? And Gus, Walter goes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. He's like, oh, your, your condition hasn't worsened. Because he's basically saying, you know, what in your right mind would make you do something like this? And, you know, he's upset and he has every right to be because, you know, they, they basically dealt with the piece. And, you know, now comes, you know, the, I guess, the punishment. And Walter says, like, I have two options. And option A, you kill me here and, here and now. No one's going to see it, which is a risky thing to say because yeah. that wasn't even in his mind in the first place. And option B is, you know, we kind of put this behind us and you just let me cook. Yeah. And he, Gus just kind of looks at him with this death stare. Like, I don't like, I don't even know what to do right now. And he said, <laughs> but he's still not kind of over the, the initial. He says, why would you intervene for a junkie? Mm -hmm. Like this guy's only caused you problems. Why do you keep helping him? And he said, well, you told him he'd stop, you know, he'd stop using children. And he was upset that the kid ended up dead. And I kind of, I'm kind of thinking maybe you ordered the hit, which just sets Gus off. Yeah. He's, he's outraged. You know, he says, you really think that I would do something. And even though Walter says like, no, I like, I never would even ask you mm. that Gus is still pissed. He's like, you know, what, what what am I even supposed to do now? Like, I can't trust you whatsoever. And you're right. He just got this look of disgust and displease on his face. Uh, the actor does it really, really well. Actually, yeah. like, kind of, kind of, like you, you just notice it. Like, it doesn't take very long. And you're like, okay, this guy's fed up. And he basically says, well, he's like, okay, like you can, you can keep cooking. And then Walter says, 
you know, with, I'll need a new assistant. And Gus says, no, I'm, I'm picking the assistant this time. Yeah. And, you know, Walt's like, okay, I'll, I'll start looking. No, 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 no. I picked the assistant. So we then pivot to the next day. Walter is coming to the lab. He walks in and the other right-hand man of Gus, Victor, is right at the door. So he's got security. Now he can't move without having Gus really have eyes on him, so to speak, because it's one of his mm-hmm. internal people. And he walks down the stairs and who's there to greet him but <laughs> his old assistant, Gail. Yeah, Gail gives him a not-so-warm welcome because if you can remember last time, Gail was the one who basically put this lab together for Walter, was Walter's old assistant, and, you know, basically got the, you know, hit with the door when Jesse walks in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesse's in there cursing, swearing, oh, this, this shit is so cool, you know. And, you know, well, Gail just can't comprehend why Walter would want to replace him with some, you know, loser, we could say Jesse is in the sense. Mm. and you know Walter just kind of he just shrugs he's like you know what this is my this isn't the replacement this is what we're gonna do let's let's just cook and get this done with but Gail is a little timid I think you can see yeah he's clearly uncomfortable because he was replaced by somebody and he doesn't know why he's back either he has no idea why he's really back he just sees that Jesse's not there and Walter kind of says yeah it just didn't really work out and he goes okay let's cook um we then go to, we, we've seen some scenes of Mike. In the last episode, we learned that he was a former police officer. We know he has a granddaughter. And we do see in this scene, he's his granddaughter, who refers to him as Pop Pop. He drops her off at home, gives her some balloons, but he's got a car full of balloons, which is really odd. And after he drops, uh, drops her off to her mother, he takes the balloons to go on a job. Yeah, so he kind of arrives to this we'll say warehouse at night and first thing he does he gets out of the car he grabs balloons and i remember the first time watching this i'm thinking what the hell like where is he going who's he greeting but sure enough this tactic and i i I don't even know if this works i don't know anything about this but he lets the balloons go right at one of these power lines and sure enough it takes the power out to this warehouse yeah i i looked it up i just googled and apparently it, it has a chance of working like it, it the way they both work with the helium and the, and the power can have an effect oh, wow. so okay. um interesting that they chose to do this but we see the warehouse and there's no power so these these two guys come out the door mike is behind a wall and he's got a silencer gun these two are kind of like oh look who's who's here mike comes around the corner puts a he's so he's just you can see he's a stud one bullet goes through the both of them through the window of the door and he just you know he makes his way into the warehouse yeah he makes his way in and you know first thing he sees he gets into this office and there's this uh this asian lady and she's you know obviously panicked like these guys with guns he's just walking in willy-nilly and you know this is this odd scene where he goes and he sits next to her and he starts taking off her shoe and you're thinking you know what what the hell is he doing and you see all these things though, like the, like back with the balloons, like he's an experienced guy. He's, he's clearly done this longer than we know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's in, he's in a sense, kind of a hitman slash, you know, in man, 
in the sense that he's kind of got all, all these different tools that he can use. So he gets his, this woman's shoe and basically throws it down this hallway. And one, we'll say ding dong, starts running back, running through the hallway. And Mike just kind of hits him on the way out with a, a couple couple barrels. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of thought maybe the, the idiot thought it was like a bomb or something because, yeah. I, I, or, you know, gas or something. But yeah, yeah, he, did, yeah. he just charges. He just starts shooting, ah, like screaming like Scarface style. Uh, but Mike gets him. So he continues to walk and he, we see this older Asian man at a desk kind of, you know, he's clearly there not under his own will. And Mike's standing at the wall and there's this other guy on the other side. And he's looking at the Asian guy saying like up or down, he's got his gun and he, the Asian guy kind of helps him and he shoots him through the wall right in the head. And the guy drops. So he goes, and you know, at first I'm just like, okay maybe he's off an assignment maybe he's here to kill this guy or help these people but no he knows this he knows this biz, asian businessman is in the sitting at the desk and he goes you know chow why aren't you, you know why aren't you answering our calls because oh i was here against my will you know you know I, I had to do business with them i'm a businessman and you know clearly this is someone it looks like there were chemicals right so I, i'm sure there was kind of some kind of shortage in chemicals going to mm. the lab and obviously that's you know that's going to delay the process of making the meth so this is just something i guess mike was looking into and sure enough he goes you know what you know do you, does the lady outside drive the lady referring to the girl in the office and he goes yeah i guess she, she can drive and then mike shoots this guy in the hand and says don't don't ever uh, don't ever miss one of our calls ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly sending a message. And he also picks up on the fact, cause he goes to see Gus that it was the cartel that was in town. So if you remember he, Mike had, you know, one of the key members of the cartel killed, he took, cause they were trying to intrude on his turf. And so Gus clearly they're trying to get some retribution, but Mike says, yeah, the cartel didn't send, basically they're a guys i took them out pretty easily but they're here which is a concern which will be you know brought to light more in season four Mm -hmm. but also he says i have no lead on jesse yet but i am tracking him at the moment yeah don't you think this this is a great you know scene to show like the lengths i think that no mike goes to he goes from being a grandfather in one Mm -hmm. scene to another scene being kind of this you know, I would, I would say that, like you said earlier, he's the man, like he's just walking through guys, like no big deal, clearly has a ton of experience in whatever he does. So he, he, re- he really is this kind of middleman for, for Gustavo. And, you know, clearly he's got a background, uh, background with violence or history of violence, if you, if you want to call. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. He's got the sensitive side of being a really good grandfather. And we, we learn more about this, but his ambition is, he does this so he can give the money to his, his uh, daughter-in-law and his granddaughter. That's who he cares about in life. But he, yeah, he clearly he was a police officer, but he, you know, broke bad, uh, no pun intended. And now he's kind of, you know, working for the enemy, but he's doing good work at the same time. So you know, Mike's, Mike's such a compelling character. We only get to know him more as the show goes on. And yeah, he's just fantastic. I, I I love every scene with Jonathan Banks. I think he's so good in how little he says, but it when when he does talk, it's very profound and, and you you learn a lot. Um so then we go to this montage of Gail. 
Uh, he's in his apartment. He's got a lot of um, a lot of different plants. He's watering them. He's listening to some. Uh, I don't know what kind it's of music. Like, that, it's yeah, like old French music. Yeah, right? old or, French. I yeah, I even think it might have been some Spanish in there. Like it was. It's Maybe. different anyway. He's got clearly he's a very smart guy. He's got a lot of um, old textbooks in his in his apartment. It's very um, hippie esque. I would say Shay, his apartment, you know, he's making tea. He's got some different things, but kind of a nerdish a hippie. You can't, you can't, yeah, you kind of learn that he is a, a very different guy. You know, he's watering his plants where, you know, you usually just use a glass of water. He's watering his plants with a teacup. He's mm-hmm. just, he's just very different. You could tell the style of music he listens to. He's got a telescope in his room. You know, he, you can just get the vibe that he's a different guy than most people. Clearly very smart, but just off the wall i would say right yeah maybe a little socially awkward but very you know very uh, intelligent so while he's listening to this music watering his plants he gets a knock on the door and it's gus which he's clearly like i don't even think he knew like gus knew where he lived because he was clearly startled he's oh mr frank like come in come in you know trying to clean up get a spot for him and gus basically says now, I, don't, I don't know if Walter told you this, Gail, but he's sick. You know, he's got cancer and who knows how long he's going to, you know, he's in this business because for to provide for his family. And we don't know how much longer he's going to be able to cook. So how many more cooks with Walter before you feel comfortable running the lab yourself? Yeah. And, you know, Gail says, you know, oh, well, you know, a few, a few more cooks and I'd be fine. And we go back to this, this look that Gus gives mm. and go, he, it's not a look of anger, but it's a look of blankness, like a disapproval, we'll say. And he goes, oh, maybe a couple more cooks. And then, you know, still has the same look. And then finally Gail goes, oh, one cook, you know, one cook and I should have it down. And, you know, then Gus is like, oh, I, I believe in you. You know, you're this, you know, you, you can do this, Gail. Yeah, and he, yeah, he gives him that reassurance, but yeah, Gail's kind of like, oh, I don't know what, what the hell I'm doing here. Um, yeah, but it's funny eh, that, you know, Gus is, he's not telling, obviously he's not telling the whole side of what's mm-hmm. going on. He's sheltering Gail in the sense that he's lying to him about, you know, his, his dispute with Walter and the fact that he just wants Walter out of there. You know, Walter is perfectly healthy, as we know, and mm-hmm. even if, you know, he, he may die way much later but he's as of right now he's kind of in remission and his, his cancer is not a problem so it's clearly just a matter of you know gus kind of tr- trying to push out walter but at the same time get his techniques and his cooking skills down so that he doesn't lose all the concepts that walter has right he mentions to gail that he can't even shut down for a week like it's that much he's making that much money and yeah. the losses would just you know overflow on him so we we pivot to Victor's hanging over Walt while he's cooking and we see Gail just ask a few questions like when should I you know when should we get rid of this and when 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 do we turn that on and it Walt's a small smart guy and he sees that things are changing and after these few questions he is clued in okay I'm expendable to Gus he's trying to replace me and I very well maybe have a couple more days left to live here yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't really evident until you know he goes and meets Jesse. Um, 
I guess before this, uh, just uh, Saul's kind of laying in his office. He says he's in a conference. Mike walks in, basically threatens him. You know, he's he's Saul's client, but at the same sense, he works for Gus, who is, you know, we'll say his real boss. And, you know, Saul pretty willingly, let's say, gives up Jesse and his location, but it's a fake location. Right. So it kind of just buys buys the um, it buys them more time to kind of flee. At this point, we think Jesse is, you know, gone. Like, at, he, you know, Walter said he's a few counties away, maybe even a few um, states away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of just scattered all over the place. Right. So, yeah, we don't, we have really no clue where he is. We, as far as we know, he's out of town. But we see Saul and, and uh, Walter get into Saul's car and they start driving to, oddly enough, the laser tag location. And they are being tailed by Victor, but none the wiser. They go there to look at the spot. I'm sure, you know, Gus is thinking this is where he's going to launder his money. This is not a real big threat. So they go in there. Saul kind of goes off about my PI is threatening to break my legs. Like life sucks. Like, and all we're we're doing it because we're trying to protect this little shit. And out comes from around the door is Jesse. He's living in the laser tag uh, shop. Yeah, basically just a hideout for him to, you know, to stay until, well, until he can get away or mm. things blow over because right now they, they have no no real plan. You know, Saul goes, okay, I'll, I'll go find Tetris or something and I'll just get out of your hair. <laughs> and, you know, we see a, a pretty serious conversation between the two. And this is kind of where Walter reveals that he knows that his days are numbered um, on earth basically because uh, Gail is watching every move. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to be vague as possible to Gail's questions so that he can, um, so that he can basically push it off until, you know, he doesn't, uh, until, until as long as he's needed, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he brings it up. He says, at the end of the day, you know, the only thing keeping me alive is needing, you know, Gus needing a cook. And if there's no other cook, then, I'll be able to stay alive, basically implying that Gail has to go. Right. And Jesse's like, no, no, Mr. White, like we can't. No, I I, I can't do it. Like, I, 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 I'm sorry, but I can't kill somebody. Like, it's just not me. And well, quickly, it's okay. I'll do it. And we've seen him kill many people. He's fine with this. He goes, I'll pick me and you before gail any day of the week i'm sure he's a great guy but you know bob's your uncle i don't care like let's get rid of this guy and he says but i do need your help because i'm being tailed 24 7 i can't you know get out of victor victor's always on my ass so i need you to go out there find gail and give me an address tonight i'll shake victor i'll go there and i'll i'll kill gail yeah and jesse's still hesitant he's like i i don't know like i don't know about this and, you know, right away, Walter brings us up. And I'm sure this is what me and you were thinking. He goes, you know, Jesse, you know, I, I, I killed for you. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to be able to do the same for me so I can live? Yeah, basically just, save, save my life. Yeah, yeah, basically. Like, are you going to be able to save my life because I saved yours? And Jesse kind of agrees, basically. He knows he's part of the killing, but if he's not pulling the trigger, then he probably makes him feel a little, little less guilty. Right. So we see later that night, Walt's holding Holly. He gets a call from Jesse, goes to the bathroom. And Jesse says, I got it. You know, it's 63, 53. Uh, 
apartment, apartment six, and he's home. And Walt says, good, good. Thank you, Jesse. And before Jesse starts saying, Mr. White, there has to be another option. But before you can hear him even, you know, say anything more, he, he hangs up the phone and he's preparing to go kill, kill Gail. Yeah. He gets his, you know, he kind of gets his jacket on and he's, you know, right to his car and who pulls up a Victor in his red car and basically says, you know, you know, hop in. We got, there's a leak at the lab. We have to go. And Walter says, oh, I'll, I'll follow you there. He's like, no, my, my job's to pick you up. Then I'm going to pick you up. So let's go. And you get the sense that it's going to get pretty hostile. Yeah. The second you hear, no, you can't take your own car and you're in this type of business, you know, it's over. You know, you basically would have to kill Victor there or, you know, you're, you know, you're walking into a, a suicide. Basically you're walking into a bomb because you have nothing. So they get there. It's very, you know, Victor's like, Oh, after you. And he lets them in and who's in there, but Mike. And he goes, Walter, there's a leak down there. Something stinks. I need you to go fix it. And he goes, please, Mike, don't do it. Please, Mike. And he goes, Walter, the sooner you realize what the situation is, the easier it's going to be for all of us. Basically meaning get the hell down there so I can kill you. Yeah. And well, you know, Walter pleads, pleads with him. He says, please, like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. Like, let me talk to Gus. Let me talk mm-hmm. to Gus. And finally he uses a card. He says, I'll give you Pinkman. Like I, I know, I know where Jesse is. He hasn't left the city and I can give you him in a heartbeat. And this gets Mike intrigued. Yeah, clearly, if you, can, if you can get both guys at once, that's the perfect scenario. You kill both loose ends and you move forward with Gail. But Walter gets on the phone and he does call Jesse, which was a risk. Because what if what if he gets him on the phone, they track it, and then Jesse's dead in 10 minutes, you know, either way. But he he calls him and he says, I can't do it now. It has to be you. Do it now, Jesse. They got me. Go, go, go. You got a 20 minute lead. You can beat them to it. And Mike just kind of grabs the phone and says, what the hell was that? And Walter just kind of cocky because he has some leverage back says, oh, you know, 6353, you know, apartment six. And Mike's face just goes to complete, you know, terror, basically. (gasps) And Victor runs out of the um, runs out of the uh, lab and starts heading to Gail's apartment. Yeah. One thing we should mention too, before Jesse takes this call, um, he's lighting up. He, you mm. know, he's got the, he's got his meth bowl and he's, he's going to take a hit, but right before he does, obviously he gets this call. So you can kind of see that the path that Jesse's down. If you remember from the last episode too, he took a bump before he went to go try and kill mm. these two guys, the two mobsters. So yeah, he's, it's not looking good for Jesse. It doesn't look good for being sober, but Jesse goes and he, he gets, you know, sure enough, he gets there and, you know, Gail, you know, his phone's ringing, but he's got his Spanish music blaring. Yeah. He's not hearing it. And he opens the door and there's Jesse and Jesse's basically in tears. Yeah. This is a fantastic acting performance from Aaron Paul. He, it's, he sells it so well that he's, he's crying profusely and he, Gail is just like, I got money. I'll give you whatever you want. But Jesse's just, he's got the gun to his head and he's just profusely crying. And in just such poetic form and how they do this on this show, 
the uh, the screen turns to black, but then we hear the gunshot. So, you know, you can infer that Jesse shot Gail, but you don't necessarily know 100%. I mean, you, you can think that, but it ends on a cliffhanger S, but it does make you believe that Jesse killed his first person, so to speak. He, Walter's been the killer of the group, but now Jesse has, you know, joined the ranks, so to speak. Yeah, I took a you took took one for Walter in a sense because you know, like you said, Walter, he was done. If he was not for this, he would have been done. Um, love the way that this season ends. You know, if if you were someone watching and following it on AMC, um, you know, week by week, you'd be. I'm sure this would just be like, oh, like that's that's you know, like that, that that's just like I, I want to watch season four just right away yeah but obviously you know we're lucky enough we can watch on netflix anytime mm-hmm. um but no that's it, it, it's a fantastic way to end a, a great season like you said it could be the best out of the five seasons and you know you're right jesse's got his first kill and you know he he was first of all he was on the verge of you know going back to drugs now he just got his first notch in the belt we'll say yeah not looking good for him setting up for a pretty uh pretty heartbroken season four we'll say yeah, season four is interesting because I think Jesse changes the most in in that season. Just the kind of the, the way he goes through things, kind of a new friendship he makes with with Mike. Uh, oddly enough, uh, but yeah, it leaves some questions because clearly Walter knew that Gus was going to kill him, and get but Gail being dead, it does leave open the you know it does really it makes us believe that. Gus doesn't have a plan B as of yet, and he might have to stick with Walter, might have to stick with Jesse, but, you know, it, we don't know that for sure. All we know is that Gus is going to be very pissed off that this, that yeah, this happened. You can, just, you can just imagine how bad the relationship was before they killed mm-hmm. Gail. Can you imagine their only cook and their only guy knowledgeable to do what Walter does is now gone? I mean, he's, he's, he's just going to be a tornado tearing through and you know a lot of a lot of stuff coming through like you said cartel kind of starts to get back in the mix with season mm-hmm. four which i think is really interesting a little pushback from them um a lot going on like on almost you know hank too i, I yeah. hank and marie really take a backseat to the last two episodes i think they're not they're not the main focus of what's going on but they certainly re-enter the atmosphere uh, in in the beginning of season four i think Absolutely. Uh, Hank obviously is still in recovery, but he starts to, he's still got his brain. His body isn't at a hundred percent, but he, you know, we clearly see, I think we really see how smart Hank really is in the next season. And, and, you know, it it comes full, full circle throughout the the series, but yeah, we'll talk about season four, episode one next week. It's entitled box cutter. Uh, And yeah, that very literally uh, we will see a box cutter in that episode, but great start to the season. Uh, I haven't rewatched it in a while. I haven't watched it yet, but it's, um, it's a good one. It's a good start to the season. It sets a tone. uh, And, you know, season four is a very, I think, fast paced season. You mentioned the cartel and it, it starts off that way and it kind of sets the the tone and and the, the tenor for the rest of the season. Yeah, even I even thought this episode, um, full measure was, was pretty quick because when yeah. it finished, I was I 
you know, because I haven't watched it since high school, I really thought there was more to the episode. I wasn't really following along with, you know, how far we got, but it just goes by so quickly, I find. And, you know, I think that just makes, you know, that's just side for good TV. If you're just sitting there like, oh, really? Like it's already done. I feel like I've only watched 20 minutes. Yeah, so, I, you know, I remember I, I think the same way because I'd use the bathroom and I pause it with like nine minutes left. And I was like, holy crap, there's nine. I was only nine minutes left. And yeah, this episode just just flew by. But you know, that wraps up season three. Great season. We'll, we'll start season four, episode one next week. But the second half of the podcast today, you know, high, you know, fast paced and the Pacific division in this offseason, Shane, in NHL has been just as quick because we've seen a lot of movement. We're going to talk about the Canadian teams today in, in Arizona just because they are intertwined. But of these four teams, which move did you like the most from either Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, or unlikely with the Arizona Coyotes? <laughs> oh, I just love that Arizona got Andrew Ladd and all those, you know, crappy contracts, just, just outrageous moves. Goss is fair. Um, yeah, Goss is fair. They got a real team down there in, in, mm. in the desert. No, I, I, you know, I think for me, and I, I might get some backlash from you, but I do think the OEL and, you know, Connor Garland move was obviously the biggest splash out of the four. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's, it's really Jim Benning and Travis Green last Hail Mary. And it's, okay, we got to do something here. Uh, you might disagree on the Travis Green one because he's only been there four years. And, you know, I, I think he's, he has had some success. But for the most part, you know, it's been out of the playoffs, out of the playoffs, you know, a tank season. Um, so right now, I think that for me, that's the biggest move. Obviously, I even think that, you know, Arizona retaining some salary. I was like, oh, that's even that's a little impressive because it allows them to sign maybe a fourth line that they wouldn't have got uh, otherwise. Um, and we'll get into that contract, I think, even in depth a little bit later on. But yeah, what, what about you? What was your, your favorite move coming out of this uh, 14 bubble? Yeah, um, it's tough because I hate a lot of them, um, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, yeah, I would, I would have to go with that as well. Um, Ekman Larson makes a lot of money. Uh, that's, and he's, I don't think he's a number one defenseman. I, I, maybe he can turn it around in Vancouver, but again, it's tough because you're playing in Arizona. The past couple of years, he really hasn't been a number one in Arizona and I, he gets paid like one, but to be fair, a lot of defensemen do. Uh, but I, to me, I, I do like the Garland. I like that Garland was added in the deal for what you, they gave up virtually nothing. A lot of really bad contracts that they want, you know, the Jim Benning signed uh, to, to get two roster players that will help you right away. And with Ekman Larson, and then you get Hughes on the back end. So this does alleviate some of the pressure off Quinn. So I do like that move, but I, the only worry I have is they're in cap trouble. Then they get two players with pretty big contracts. So they really haven't alleviated any of their cap trouble, you know, theoretically, because they're, they're basically in the same position as they were before trading Jay Beagle, Erickson, and Antoine Roussel. Yeah, I guess the only way you can look at it is they're better now mm-hmm. on paper than they were back then. I think they have 10, and then with Furland's contract on the LTIR, they have 3.5. So you really have to question, I have written down here, you know, signing PDQ, what are you going to do? Like, you can't sign these guys to long-term deals right away because you're not going to you're not going to be able to. One's got to be a bridge, or they both have to be a bridge, essentially. How If you're Jim Benning, how do you go about this? 
Yeah, the, Elias Patterson's tough because he the way he's been speaking this offseason, he kind of reminds me of Patrick Laine, where he's got a lot of brashness. He's clearly a cocky guy, which isn't a bad thing. You want to be confident. But he's done nothing in the league. You know, on paper, the guy's done nothing to really deserve a, a really long-term contract. There's no way I'm giving him a seven, eight-year deal. And that might be that might be a really bad decision in the long run because he could play next year, have 90 to 100 points, and then I look like Boo Boo the Fool. But I need to see production. And, you know, you, you do want to pay players for what they're going to do and not what they did before. We see teams get in trouble with that. I think a Chicago is a big example of, you know, teams that did that. But, you know, Pedersen's in you're young now when you're 21, 22, that's, that's your prime, you know, 22 to 27 is really the prime of your career. And I, I look at him and say, I haven't seen much from him because he's been injured because he's been inconsistent. And, you know, he, he hasn't, you know, shown the ability to, to be an Austin Matthews to bring it home for you, or even a Mitch Marner where on these, on their entry level, you could say they got overpaid, but at least they produce when they were on those entry level contracts. Yeah, hurt him a lot last year by being hurt for more than half the season. Um, for me, I think PD caps out as a great two-way forward where probably he's a point per game. I don't think mm-hmm. he'll ever be a hundred point guy like like you mentioned, but that's still that's still a number one center. That's a Patrice Bergeron like mm-hmm. center and great where you just great on both ends. But you're right, you know, with the rumblings this year, oh he go, he goes, Oh, I don't want to be on this team if it's a losing atmosphere. Well, you have to, I think we, and we mentioned this on the round table as well, but you have to make it a winning atmosphere. You can't just be a complainer and a downer. And I thought Jim Benning did his part. He got two quality players for you to play mm-hmm. with. Um, one being Swedish. So, right. I mean, good point. Yeah. You really do got to, you do take that into factor when, you know, signing this guy, I see, you know, if I'm, if I'm Jim Benning, I I'm thinking, okay, I can probably get PD to go for seven for three, kind of the Matt Barzell contract. He's, maybe not a Matt Brazil player, but you know, if he'll sign for that, I'd be happy with that. And right. then somehow you got to get Q to either bridge for, you know, five or 6 million for a few years as well, before you re- uh, alleviate some of the other contracts you have going on. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. Yeah. If you get even like six and four and a half would be ideal. I doubt you can do that. Maybe I think Hughes, you have a better chance of getting him say four and a half because we see these younger D get a bridge and then get a big payday. Seth Jones, Orensky, Dougie Hamilton, like they'll get it if you play well. And it's um, easy. I think it's also easy to sit Q, Q, uh, Quinn Hughes down and be like, okay, you're, you might be have the offensive numbers, but you have not done it defensively for mm-hmm. us. So what, what, you know, when do you turn that around and then you can get your payday. And it's right. so you got to be responsible on your own end. And I think Quinn's a hot, he's a smart hockey person. Like he comes from a hockey family He's got three brothers drafted in the first round, but his, his parents know what they're doing. I don't think he, he's a person that will take that as a huge slight. I think he knows last year he didn't play that great. He said that after the year. He said, I, I wasn't that good this year. And I was a big part of why we weren't that good as a team. So if he has that already in his mind, he's going to want to come out and play even better next year. Be rookie Quinn, maybe better than that. And, but one thing I can say about Vancouver, I, I remember talking to Casey early in the year because Casey was all about Vancouver, and I told him they don't have a chance in hell of making the playoffs. And I should have bet him the 100 bucks that I was going to tell him to do it because I knew this team was going to stink. Mm-hmm. 
but I do I like like you I give them credit for doing something because if they just had a normal offseason where they keep Roussel or sign another version of him and it's just another player that's just there they are in the same mess that they've always been in and Jim Benning will be fired because he he probably should already be fired. Let's be honest. I think yeah, I can look yeah. at it at two general managers, which we'll touch on another team that I don't know how the guy's still employed, but Benning, for what Benning's drafted for some of the trades and just some of the idiotic signings, he's lucky he's getting another kick at the can here. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, this is just a hail Mary. If, if it works well, he's going to look like a genius. And if it doesn't, then his ass probably will get canned mm-hmm. yeah, during this year or at uh, the end of the year, I guess. Right. So, yeah, you know, Beagle, Roussel gone. Uh, Bray, you know, another Jim Benning, Brayden Holtby is out of the organization after one year. Uh, he did sign that deal, uh, which clearly didn't work one year and then you buy him out. But, you know, Tucker Pullman is a good ad in the back end as well. I think their defense needed uh, some movement. And I'd rather have Tucker Pullman at this point than Alex Edler. You know, Edler is one of the great Canucks of of all time, you could say. But Pullman's better right now than Edler. So I do like that upgrade as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you you know, to anyone who may be looking up at one point over 40 games in Winnipeg last year, but that's not his job. His job is mm-hmm. to play on the edge, you know, to eat those meat and potatoes, like you like to like to say. And, you know, he, he's just a, a gritty defensive defenseman who's going to block shots and help his goalie out whenever he can. So if he's a, if he's in the fourth, fifth position on that team, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's pretty strong. And I don't mind the cap. They gave him extra term, but he'll be 32 when the contract's done. So it's not like he's aged off completely. Right. I, I agree. It's a, it's a good contract for a good defenseman. Yeah. Uh, and you look at their team, they got two forward lines that you can, that are, you know, a team, teams are going to have to game plan for. It used mm-hmm. to really just be one line, but like you said, Patterson come back, you got Horvat. So that's two really big horses down the middle. And then you, you get guys like uh, Garland inserted. And then, you, you know, you got some other skilled, uh, skilled players on the outside. Uh, Hoglander, I think, is a player that can take a step. I, I like his game. He is small, but I do think he's got some upside there. But they do have two forward lines now that you could say, okay, this, is, this team can, can score and they can be effective offensively. Yeah, and just the last point I'll have is if Thatcher Demko plays like he can mm-hmm. or he kind of just gets hot and he, he'll win you games, you know, maybe only have to get one or two goals, but – He'll make 30, 40 saves when he's when he's really well. We saw that in the bubble. Mm-hmm. We saw it for a spurt last year. I think one month he was probably the best goalie of the uh, of the month. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, if he if he can play like that more consistently, no doubt he'll be an NHL starter and probably down down the future maybe a Vesna winner. Yeah, and he's got all the tools. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be expected to I think to play fifty five to sixty games. Because Halak Halak's a good backup, but you know he's a backup. It's not a tandem situation to me. Uh, we see a lot of those around the league. I think it's clearly Demko and then Halak here. Um, before we go to the other Canadian teams, Arizona, obviously they're uh, they're in the opposite direction. You know, they lose OEL, they lose Garland. They've uh, they've also they lost lose their starting goaltender. Uh, now they they got one year left in in Glendale, then they got to find a new place to play. I mean, it's a disaster in Arizona. I think really their biggest thing will be: are they going to be better than Buffalo? 
I know. Isn't that, that's like the greatest race right there. Who's going to be, who's going to finish last, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I try to take, when I was doing this, I tried to take some optimistic and pessimistic, pessimistic views mm. on each team. And there's not a whole lot of optimistic views when it comes to the, when it comes to the coyotes, just the, the scandal last year with, you know, the, the, the prospects and having them mm. try out there. Um, one thing I will say, you know, I, I really think you got to go to your two young players right now in Keller and Chirpin and basically say, what do you want? You do, do you want to stay here and go through a, a pretty brutal rebuild? Let's be honest. Yeah. Or do you want a chance to play somewhere where you might have a chance to win, even if it's not at a top dog? Well, at least you're playing on a team that you're going to be winning on somewhat basis. Yeah. I, if I'm them, I try desperately to keep to because you see uh, Columbus kept Wierenski. And I think that's important. You need at least somebody that gets like a, well, Wierenski plays there. Maybe I can give it a shot. He's a good player. Chikrin, you can sell that. I, I think I think the kid's a stud. I, I, I think there's an outside chance if the NHL players go, which I'm not, I don't need them to go, but I talked about that yesterday, but that's no, a negative opinion. But he could make the Olympic team on the back end. I, I, I think he, he'll be in the mix for, for the team. He'll, he'll definitely be you know, he'll definitely be trying out for sure. I mean, there's no doubt he took a leap last year than he did the year before and just became mm. this you know offensive domino and really kind of pushed OEL out of a you know yeah. first first man position. And that's probably why Arizona said, yeah, we, you can take him. Like we don't, we, we've got our guy and he's good here. And that's an excellent point about, you know, comparing Columbus and Wawinski, because I, I do think you need that guy. Keller's a little less appealing. You know, he's had some time to show that, you know, if he's going to be uh, a top, top winger mm-hmm. and, even though he may be able to, I don't know if he's got that superstar status that you've mentioned a couple, couple podcasts ago in your rankings. Um, but what I like about Arizona is they got all these guys now with, you know, that the, the Dimitri Haskin, you know, someone might say, well, why the hell do you like that? Well, he's on a one-year deal and guess what? You're going to flip him for a third or second round pick at, at the deadline. Mm-hmm. If he's good, if he has a year, same with Antoine Stroman guys that you know oh we you know we lost a defenseman this year well we'll pick we'll pick up Stroman because he's a veteran so we got a bunch of these one-off deals that are going to work same with Phil Kessel what we're like where do you think he's going to go if they end up dishing him somewhere I'm sure he doesn't want to leave uh because it's good golf and I, I don't think he yeah Phil um I that's a tough one. I think it truly depends on the team that's close to winning. You know, um, it's a, he's got a big ticket, so it's tougher to trade for that. But towards the trade deadline, it's less of a cap hit and less money moving in and out. So maybe like a Washington, if, if they're in the mix, I think, you know, a team that could really use a boost um, going to a playoff. Phil Kessel's got two Stanley Cups. Yes, he's not the hardest worker in the world, but he has won two Stanley Cups. He's got that under his belt. You know, one would argue me that he should have won a Conn Smythe in in 2016. So, I mean, he he is appealing. I mean, his work ethic isn't, uh, but he is a playoff player, and you know he's going to play every game. He never misses any. He plays 82 every year. You know that 100. percent Yeah, he's a gamer, and you know, as a former Leaf, just love him to death. Hot dog eating motherfucker, but you know he, he he's gonna be he's gonna give you production in the playoffs if you get there. Like you said, closer mm-hmm. to the cap, you know, less less money you have to spend. No, I'm just curious on what when he's going there. They've got 
Arizona's got two AHL goalies in that, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a it's just a dumpster fire. And, you know, right now they're just saying, you know, are we going to get Bernard or are we going to get right? And in these next couple of drafts showing up because, like, that's that's all they've got to be looking forward to. I feel bad for any Coyotes fan right now. Yeah, and really, Shay, this might put a damper on you, but I, I want to bring it up. They need to rebuild their organization, and I mean this sincerely. By the time Austin Matthews is an unrestricted free agent. I've had I'm not saying he's going there, but if they can show a franchise that at least has some hope, they have an outside chance of acquiring him. Do I think he'll go there? No, but it is his hometown. If they have a team that's competent, then you could at least sell the argument that maybe Austin would consider coming back to Arizona. Yeah, I've been, you know. Spoiler alert, if anyone doesn't know this already, I'm a Leafs fan. And you're not the first person to make fun of me in that. But, you know, I, I, I sleep well at night looking at the, the status of the Arizona Coyotes and, you know, where that will be when Austin Matthews finally, uh, you know, rings the bell and done his, you know, multi-deal contract. So we'll see. I mean, it, yeah, it could happen. If it happens, it happens. I'm not uh, – uh, I'll be upset, but nothing I'm going to do. Just weep over it. <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, so well, let's pivot to Calgary, where uh, this team—they uh, drive me up the wall. They—they uh, they lose their captain. A really a great transition where they had Jerome McGinley for many years, one of the great leaders in the history of the sport. You had a Mark Giordano, who's just a journeyman, had to battle his way to get to the NHL. Seattle takes him; they don't protect him, but yet they remain. Pretty similar to what they had last year, Shay. They had Blake Coleman, but they still have the two guys that they plan on, you know, getting them over the hump, which would be Johnny Goodrow and Sean Monahan. Yeah, I know. And, you know, both these guys coming to the end of their deals, it's really, you know, I, I, I've got it written down here. If I'm the GM, I'm, I'm walking up to Matthew Kachuk and I'm saying, what do you want to do? You know, I'm going to do everything to, I can to keep you here because I know you're the future of the franchise. You can be a leader just like your father was. But, you know, what, what do I got to do to keep you here? Do I have to blow it up or do I have to go all in and, you know, do something else? But if, if I'm looking at, if I'm Matthew Kachuk, I'm saying, I don't, I obviously I don't want to blow it up all the way, but you got to get rid of those two guys. You know, Goudreau is at the end of his contract. You got to hope someone would be able to take him off. Monahan with the injuries, it's less likely, but you know, maybe someone picks him up for a, for a good deal. But what, what, like, what are your thoughts on that? What that, you know, if, if you're, if you're in the GM's position, obviously. Yeah. I've, I've said this for a couple of weeks. I've cor- I correlate Calgary to Philadelphia where I look at Philly where they had Voracek and Giroux. And I said, these two players are never going to win as your two best players. And Voracek is gone, but Philly's made some interesting moves this offseason. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. I haven't loved everything they've done. I, I do get some of the moves they made. But I look at Calgary and say, last offseason, they signed Markstrom to a long-term extension. And I don't think they were – they weren't a, clearly weren't a goalie away from going on a deep Stanley Cup run. They didn't make the playoffs. So now I look at it and say, Kachuk, one year left before he – you know, he's free. You got – Monahan, like you said, maybe it's not all his fault because he's had, he had eight surgeries one off season. The guy is a is a warrior, but his body clearly isn't what he used to be. Goudreau, really, he, he had some good seasons, but he's not a playoff performer. 
You know, he, he's he's like Mitch Marner, Che, in a sense, because he they get to these two guys get to the playoffs after having 90 point plus seasons and it kind of vanishes for them. So I look at it and say, you sign a goalie long term who Markstrom's a good goalie, but he's not great. I think he got paid quite well. Uh, and then you have these two guys as your face with Alliance Lindholm. You're not winning anything with these guys. And, you know, maybe you're in the Pacifics. You're like, okay, we'll win this division. But, okay, you win a crap division. You get, you start playing teams in the Central. You know, it, it's over. You know, Winnipeg, St. Louis, some of these teams over there, they're not messing around. And I, I don't like your chances of, of beating them, quite frankly. No, I, I agree. If, even if they win, you know, they're getting swallowed up by Vegas. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what they do. Um, I, 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 if I were the GM, I'm getting rid of Goudreau at some point this year, just to change it up. Because like you said, it's been, it's stale, you know, they've been trying yeah. to do the same old thing and it's not working year after year after year. Um, like, the, but I, like you said, I like the Coleman deal that adds a little bit of depth. I think he's a good player. Not going to get them over the edge, obviously, but it does give them, you know, that two-way forward depth that they kind of needed. Um, Dylan Dubé signed this week, 2.3 mil for three years. That's not a bad deal either. He can probably be a player in your middle six moving forward. But I look at the D and I'm thinking, who on here is going to pick it up offensively? Because a guy you used to like, I don't know if you still like him, Noah Hannafin, he's kind of been dry offensively. Um, You had Zadorov. Zadorov is <laughs> as dry as the, you know, the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Erasmus Anderson, yeah, he, he's a good puck mover, but he's not going to be uh, your offense, you know, your first, your mm-hmm. back end to your power play, you know. I, so I, I think they really got to look at, look and they got to sign somebody who's going to be able to generate some points for them. And again, it's completely unfair to put Rasmus Anderson, who's probably a two, three defenseman in the number one role. That's the team's fault. Like, that's not... The player being put in a position where he's not going to succeed, the least did this to Dion Phaneuf. I, you know, I, I think you look at Montreal over the years, they did this plenty of times where they had D put in positions where they're going to fail. And I, I, I look at the team and fault them for doing this when it happens because it's like, well, oh, Rasmus Anderson isn't getting 60 points. Well, no kidding. If you looked at it and knew your players and you just didn't say, well, he's our best option. Let's hope for the best. Like that's not how you run a team. That's not how you do business. You don't just say, well, you know, the, there's a crack in the foundation. Well, let's build the house. Well, no, you get it patched up, fix it. You know, I'm not, I'm not exactly a carpenter here, but I'm not brain dead either. And yeah, I agree. Geo's gone, you know, Zadorov and Valimaki and Anderson. And, and I like Hannafin, but he doesn't bring much to the table offensively. And then you're relying on players who are, haven't been that great offensively over the last two, three years. And I'm just looking at this team saying, are they going to be the new Vancouver from last year? Cause yeah, Calgary didn't make the playoffs last year, but they might fall into Vancouver territory of this division because I think LA is going to be better. We'll talk about that next week, but I think LA will be better this year. San Jose might not cause they're, oof. Uh, but you know, Seattle, I don't think is going to be a pushover. And I, I, I look obviously Vegas, they speak for themselves. Yeah. Do you think, so to answer my question, do you think Calgary should blow it up or do you think that they should? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think they should have blew it up, you know, last off season. And yeah. now that now they're stuck as they get after they should have marched them for another four years. 
who knows if Kachuk's going to want to stay? Because I love the guy. He's my favorite player in the NHL, but he had a bad year last year. You know, call a spade a spade. He wasn't great. And then I, I look at the rest of the team and I'm like, I, I can't expect this team to be great. And unless Markstrom's just standing on his head like uh, like a uh, Thatcher Demko, his former running mate, I don't see how this team really does better than, you know, third, fourth from the bottom in this division. I, I don't see them as a playoff team today. No, absolutely not. Even in, in my opinion, the weakest uh, yeah. weakest division of the thing, they're still they're still no out there clearly. Um, and I know how you feel about the the GM there, so I don't know. How, yeah, I don't know. He must team. give off like free pizza coupons or something, because I don't know how he's still employed. And he he made some good moves at the beginning, but the shelf life that some of these Canadian GMs have, I don't know if they're just making, they're just cheap or what, but like I, I look at it and say, you're not getting good production. You're not getting good players. You're not making the playoffs. You're not making extra revenue. Why are you holding on to these guys that aren't getting you wins? And Vancouver and Calgary are a master's class and keeping guys too long. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So finally we'll get to Edmonton. Um, Obviously, your boy, Zach Hyman, uh, went across the bow. He's now in Edmonton, leaving your Toronto Maple Leafs. They also get another former Maple Leaf in your boy, Cody Cece. Uh, they get Duncan Keith from Chicago. What would you make of Edmonton's offseason in, in, as a whole? I, I think their top six got better, obviously, with, uh, with the addition of Hyman. They've added some okay depth, not, not great in Fogel and, you know, Derek Ryan. Mm-hmm. But overall, I, I can't say I'm impressed. I, I think their D's worse. You know, they haven't really. It, I haven't heard any rumblings about getting rid of Koskinen. You know, shelving that contract. You know, I, I know that's maybe not even possible. But you got to think maybe put a prospect with him, and he's got to be attracted to somebody at least. You know, maybe a Dylan Holloway or a Lavoie, and yeah. So that, that's that's kind of my general sense. But I think. You give McDavid a guy like Hyman, I, I see a fairly good relationship evolving there, just the way they both play. Um, but yeah, overall, I think Edmonton's still kind of in the rut that they've they've always been and still spinning their tires, frankly. Yeah, I think they're definitely a playoff team. But like we said, this division stinks. That doesn't tell you a whole lot. Um, but I do think Hyman will have a good transition playing with McDavid, playing from you know, a top three or four player in the league to playing with the best player of the league. He's not, he's very familiar with playing with elite talent. Then you got Pooley RV and you got uh, Leon and, and uh, Nuge. And so you got strong first two lines. It's hard to beat those top two lines. Really. If if you look at it on paper, yeah, they're back end. Um, I think Keith will help. I know people hated that contract when, when that trade, when it first happened, but I do think he'll help the team. The Ethan bear trade, I get it for cap, but it did not make much sense to me. I would much rather have Ethan Bear than Warren Fogel. Um, you know, Fogel does do things that I like, and Edmonton probably needs a little bit more jam in their bottom six. But I like Ethan Bear. Uh, I, to be quite frank, Shay, I like Ethan Bear more than I like Evan Bouchard. I've never liked Evan Bouchard, and I clearly they see him differently than me. Yeah, yeah, no. I- Exactly. Yeah. You, I mean, you're kind of relying on Bouchard to become this top four defenseman when he really hasn't shown that yet. You know, he could be maybe a bottom parent guy, but 
yeah, like, like, like I was saying, like, I, I don't like Cody's, I don't like Ethan Bear. Uh, no, sorry, I don't like Cody Season more than I like Ethan Bear, and they gave no. Ethan, uh, Cody Cece more money. So I was like, well, how are you fixing your cap problem if you're just going to give money away to a guy that, like, I mean, we've mentioned this before, really hasn't earned it. Like, yeah, he had a good year in Pittsburgh, but he didn't he didn't do anything stellar. He just didn't get noticed, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Kind of a bump, but uh, yeah, so I, I don't know what they're doing there and why they go get him. i just not comfortable with CeCe and Keith being my second pairing if you're going to bring right. Barry and Nurse here, top pairing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what more worries me, if anything. And, you know, that, that can be, we'll say, amended with good goaltending, but that really relies on the head of Mike Smith and whether he, you know, performs like he did last year. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, he's 40 uh, and a two year deal. Like he couldn't, have, you couldn't have got him on a one. I, I don't get why it had to be two. You know, they have Koskinen still there that they let Peter Shirelli sign him a day before he was fired. I still don't know how that, that got processed by Edmonton Brass, but that, that was crazy. But I look at their goaltending and say, yeah, Mike Smith was fantastic last year, but he still ran out of gas in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, they got swept yeah. by Winnipeg with a lot of expectations. And I look at this and say, I still don't like their goaltending. Koskinen is average backup to below average and Mike Smith's 40. So if he even falters a little bit, your only option is Koskinen. That is beyond scary to me because I have no confidence in him. And then you're relying on outscoring your opponent and McDavid and Drysettle can go one, two in points. We see that throughout the regular season. The past two years, it doesn't mean any. It doesn't mean you're gonna have any playoff success. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, and you know, also a guy like you know Zach Cassian had a pretty piss poor year last year. I would mm-hmm. say he needs to kind of become that elite penalty killer. I feel like if they if they're mm-hmm. gonna help out, you know, their goaltending and stuff like that, and not worry about his points, you know, and that and that involves you know being in their uh, you know their bottom six and taking less minutes, but being effective in, in that sense and kind of just killing penalties, you know, doing, doing the nitty gritty just to, just to help out the goaltending. And to me, a, a weaker defensive core than they would have had last year. Don't believe Clef Baum is coming back. As, Sounds like as he's out for the year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, there you go. You kind of lose another, you got another blow there. I mean, what's your, what are your thoughts on Kaylor Yamamoto? Is he going to be a top six guy? Do you see him more as yeah. a depth player? Interesting player because like you got Hyman, McDavid, and say Pugliarvi. We'll say that's line one just for for fun here. And then there's Leon, Nuge, and who would you say plays with them? You could, I mean, you could put uh, you could put a Warren Fogel in just to yeah, just as more of a gritty guy. Yeah. Um, So then you could go Turris. Holloway Yamamoto on your third line. I I, I hate that Turris is in there, but again, uh, they don't have a whole lot of depth down there. Their bottom six is still a very weak part of their team. I don't think they've it's really improved. It's, a, it's like it's like a it's like a guy who goes to the gym, just does chest and back, and you know, and just leaves his, his leg, leaves his legs. There. He's like an air mic, you know, you know, all, <laughs> all upper body, no lower body. Right. Anyways, it's true, but like, you know, you've got a great top six, but that's got to trickle down eventually. And you're counting on guys like Hollow, Dylan Holloway, you know, Lacroix to maybe come in and be effective players. But 
Mm -hmm. If they're supposed to be skilled players, then you have to transition them into roles that they may not want to play. Kind of like, for example, an Ivan Barbashev went to the 2019 St. Louis Blues. He came in as an offensive guy, turned into a checker, helped them win a cup. You kind of have to do that same transition with these guys if they want to be effective right away because they're not stepping into uh, a top six role when they come on this team. No, absolutely not. And it takes a player to accept that role. And that's the tough, that's one of the bigger things about it too, is you know, Nick Kiprios talked about this in his book, how, you know, he was getting 40 points in June, 40 goals in junior, close to hundred points. Everybody does that. You come in the league and the people that stick, if you're not going to be a superstar is you're going to have to fight you back in the day, you had to fight. Now you have to kill penalties. You have to block shots. You have to grind. And if not, if you still want to be with a skilled guy, you'll be playing in the coast in a matter of years and your career you know, will be Alex Galchenyuk's before you know it. Um, but it's interesting because this, I, I think some of these teams are going to look better than they are because of the division that they play in. And it wouldn't surprise me if we get to April, May next year and Edmonton's getting a lot of hype as a team that could do some real damage in the playoffs where with the roster they have now, I, I don't, I just don't buy it. Yeah. Like you said earlier, like the Kings look good, um, with the emergence of Zegers and Dream Jane Drysdale, we'll talk about them next week. I think, you know, Anaheim could make a splash perhaps, um, they got decent goaltending and unlike the team we're talking about right now. So it all just, it it really all depends, but like you said, this is a weak conference. So a team like Vancouver, I can see doing some damage as long as they can just stay consistent and, Mm -hmm. you know, not go on any droughts. Obviously they heavily rely on, Demko, like we talked about earlier, to win some games. But for the most part, it's anybody's, you know, I, obviously Vegas will be at the top of that heap, you, you would think, but yeah. who knows? Yeah, yeah, they, they got a lot of switch-ups too. Maybe Jack Eichel goes to a team in this division yeah. some point next year. That could be an X factor. So, yeah, yeah, no, uh, good good discussion today. Uh, I love the positive and negative uh you're more <laughs> the positive guy i'll bring the negatives good to balance each other out so uh yeah. good little talk but yeah next week we'll talk about the the cali teams some teams in nevada seattle coming in so we'll touch on the other half of the pacific division while talking about episode one of season four of breaking bad um got anything on the go the rest of the week as we head into the labor day long weekend Yes. Yeah. I'm actually uh, a nice little ball tournament on Friday and uh, Saturday down home. So I'll be able to see you again. Mm. Um, yeah. I'll let you know. I'll give a, I'll give a solid update on Tuesday uh, of how I do, you know, you know, how many errors I perform. I don't expect <laughs> any, but you know, you never know. Sometimes we'll just, you get caught off guard. We'll say, um, yeah. so no, that's good. That was, that's a memorial tournament for uh, Dalton Thompson. So, you know, someone lost uh, two, two, uh, two recently. And other than that, just maybe see some family and, you know, just, just maybe relax. Um, just basically finish, finish off, finish off the week. And, you know, what feels like the end of the summer coming up. What about yourself? Good. I'd say good interview um, with you and Darcy, Darcy Young. Uh, Daryl. Daryl. Sorry. Daryl Young. I knew that. I listened to that yesterday, but that was, that was really good. And you can see your skills are starting home and you're starting to get a lot better. Oh, well, thank you. I uh, know he's a great guy and good interview as well. Um, got, you know, got a lot of different details that I didn't, uh, didn't know about scouting, but he, you know, he's got a lot of cool stories and wearing the, the cup ring on the pod was pretty cool as well. So that was cool to see. Um, this weekend, I college football Saturday. Um, 
that'll probably take up 95% of my day, um, one o'clock. So probably pretty late at night. Um, so that, that'll take up most of that day. Sunday, I might, I'm, might do something that I've done once before. I did the hundred thousand step challenge a few, probably a month and change ago. And I might do it again on Sunday. We'll see uh, how is ambitious I am. Is it another addiction kind of like football for doing these challenges? A little bit. Yeah. I just want to see how my body feels after doing another one. Uh, not guaranteed I'm going to do it yet, but I, it is a long week. And I'll have Monday to recover. So that's kind of my thinking. I might do it on Sunday, but well, I'll be I'll be around if you need some, you know, some G two or some <laughs> uh, some some, uh, some poached eggs. I'll be I'll be around to help you out. So oh, just let me know, McCallway. Perfect. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, but no, I'm sure I'll see you this weekend. And uh, but great pod today, and uh, have a good rest of your week. Thanks, mate. You too. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week, and uh, I'll be back later in the week to talk uh, many things, including with Matt Wright on Friday as we preview the NFL and college football seasons. So until then, take care and we'll talk soon.